0: You have the three major currencies out there outside of the U.S. dollar, all at multi-decade lows versus the U.S. dollar. And so I think that the first question, of course, is, well, did I miss it? Did I miss that move or is there more to come?
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. As the Bank of Canada once again raises interest rates and indicates that more hikes are likely on the way, what's the outlook for fixed income? In today's episode, Portfolio Managers Chris Heeks, Chris McKinney, and your host Kevin Prince break down market expectations They also discuss ETF flows, geographic allocation, and currencies. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca. Welcome
2: back to Views from the Desk. Today I'm hosting, it's Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Trade Funds. Always an honor to be doing the show. As well as I get a chance to work with Chris Heeks and Chris McKeeley, which are our guest portfolio managers today, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast.
0: Thanks. Morning, Kevin.
2: And we got a lot to unpack today because we've got flows in from last month in ETF, which is always provides good insights what's going on out there. In addition, just saw news coming from the Bank of Canada. We'll talk about that as well as we're seeing you know, some pretty strong movements in currencies, and I wouldn't mind getting your thoughts in there too. So let's start off with a conversation in regards towards flows into ETFs last month, and I made a few observations, and I wouldn't mind picking your brain on those observations. First and foremost, there's been a lot of investing into broad market Canadian-based ETFs, and a little bit lighter on the US side for that matter too, but still some broad market there uh, there too what's your thoughts on uh, Canadian broad market and why we're seeing flows to that area, guys?
3: Yeah, thanks, Kevin. So I think international investors have become more interested in Canada. There's a nice uh, economic reopening trade, a value-oriented trade. You know, I think there's still interest in energy materials. We're seeing a lot of supply disruption, obviously, in energies and, and, and I think for that reason, you're seeing, uh, you know, participants get a little more active. Uh, so we have, we have seen some large Canadian flows. You know, as a reminder, ZCN, or TFX composite, that's a great way to get broad beta exposure at a, a price of only five basis points. So great ETF there to invest alongside, you know, some of the international investors that are taking an increasingly, you know, increasing interest in Canada. And I'd say on the U.S. side, you know, it was kind of muted month in terms of Canadian flows, but in terms of U.S. flows, about 80% of their equity
2: flow went to the U.S. Thanks, for that, Chris. And I think you also, I mean, it's that institutional demand really pushing that around, which I think that is a great aspect of our uh, ETFs in Canada that, you know, advisors and investors and institutions are all participating in this respective market, providing that democratization of uh, ETF investing. Chris, let me stay with you for a bit more. I got a question for you in regards to, um, you were sort of seeing strong flows this last month, too, and in short term money market like investments. Give us some thoughts on that, please.
3: So I think, you know, this is what we uh, often see when there's risk in the markets. You know, investors, you know, get concerned and and reduce their risk, Uh, you know, go to cash. You know, cash is interesting now. It's offering much more uh, attractive yields than it was, say, a year ago. You know, as we're going to discuss later, the Bank of Canada just took their overnight rate up to uh, 3.25%, and that's, you know, almost a 15-year high. Uh, So those cash ETFs, I think, are, are, you know, uh certainly more interesting and there is still concern in terms of duration with fixed income um so looking at those short cash instruments and again we're going to talk more about fixed income later but zst and zcs um you know you're looking at yield for maturities in the four to five percent range um i think it's more more attractive to investors so we're seeing more interest there for sure a couple of things
2: we've seen interesting is um we're typically seeing uh, cover call ETFs get some pretty solid flows last month. They're ranking the top ten. A uh, few of them ranking the top ten. So sold ETFs last month. Can you give some thoughts on why we're seeing cover calls up, up in the market these days? Since we launched cover calls 10, 11
3: years ago, that income's always always been a topical uh, segment for many of our clients. Nowhere is it more true than than today. You know, you look at CPI. We're on. We're targeting about a seven to eight percent CPI for the year this year, and it's going to be elevated next year. And I think when you look at exposures that can help you keep pace with inflation, you know, one of the ones that kind of immediately stands out to me is the covered call strategies. You're looking at equity yields around the three percent, you know, bond yields, like we said, are climbing, but still in that three to four percent range, dividend based strategies in the four to five percent range. But you know, in general, on the cover calls. We're seeing in that six to eight percent range, and it's sustainable income. You know, one nice thing that we talked about on this podcast, as well as that ability to monetize the volatility. And as we know, volatility has been elevated in this post COVID world and and is elevating, you know, even more these days with, um, you know, interest rate and central bank policy causing, you know, some uncertainty in the markets. So, you know, cover calls is a is a great strategy to deal with some of these challenges in the market and, and help turn the you know turn the volatility into income, like we said. So I think not surprising that we're seeing you know strong lift off here with you know whether it's ZWB Canadian banks or ZWC ZWU utilities with a defensive bias or several of our other high dividend strategies. I think not surprising we're seeing a lot of uh, you know constructive activity
2: there. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. A getting paid for your weight, plus you know participating in the volatility and making, you know participating in that piece too. Sticking with that volatility conversation a little bit more, like one of the things I didn't see on the list, which is interesting, is that you know products that are focused on low volatility didn't see many of those in the, in the in the flows, the higher end flows. Can you give us some thoughts around we're not seeing low volatility up there?
3: Yeah, and you know to be honest, Kevin, I think a little bit unfair given the. You know, relative performance benefit they've added this year. You, know, you look at ZLB in Canada, low volatility is down two and a half, where the index is down eight and a half this year, so 6% outperformance. And, uh, you know, if you look at the US market, it's even more kind of dramatic. Our uh, ZLU is up 2% this year. Uh, so it's actually up, um, partly helped by that USD exposure. But, uh, but if you look at the S and P 500 even in Canadian dollar returns, it's down 14%. So we're looking at 16% outperformance. Uh, so yeah, to your point, a little bit surprising flows haven't been you know a little more robust. But you know it's a great opportunity to to remind investors that you know and we talk about it on, on these calls you know quite often is you know that that uh, benefit that low volatility can add to the equity slice of your portfolio. You know help protect against those negative outcomes just setting it up for more success going forward so you know we've had some success this year we've seen zlb you know our street sales which is you know what we see our end clients doing advisors you know we've seen some success but i think there's you know there's an argument to be made that uh you know they should be capturing more flows um so they are you know doing what they're designed to
2: do certainly this year yeah thanks for that chris i I think you're right it's just a matter of some taking a look at the options, you're right, maybe they're being punished because they're relatively looking at these things, but not looking at them on, on, on what the value add they're bringing into space. Thanks for
0: that.
1: Join leading industry experts in person as they provide institutional ideas for a recession or recovery at the BMO ETF Forum, taking place September 28 to October 13, with two-hour events in Burlington, Vancouver, Montreal, and Richmond Hill, the forum will feature face to face networking opportunities for advisors as well as trade ideas for income and equities. Space is limited. Register now at BMOETFsforum.com. Let
2: me flip gears here because I want to now talk about uh, fixed income and have a little bit of fixed income discussion. Because, of course, you know the Bank of Canada came out just a few minutes ago talking about uh, raising rates by uh, another 75 basis points. And I think it's and put that together, that's around 300 basis points for 2022 cumulative tidying. And that's pretty much the fastest pace since the 1990. So we're certainly seeing a pickup there. And what he's talking about in his announcement, of course, is there's potentially more to come. So I guess let's start with the first question I got on fixed income in regards to how is this being priced into fixed income? Let's talk about that first. And then what I want to talk about after that, is more you see kind of value in fixed income. So let me come back to that second. Let me get your thoughts on how this is being priced into fixed income first, please.
0: Yeah, certainly, Kevin. And as you say, you know, 300 basis points now tightening from the Bank of Canada, um, not just in 2022, but since March. So essentially a six month period, um, you know, those overnight rates have moved up 300 basis points. You'd have to go back to mid 90s um, to, to see anything of that, you know, speed. Uh, in terms of the amount of rate increases packed into such a short period of time. Um, and in this particular uh, announcement, it is a statement-only announcement, so there's no press conference afterwards. There's no update to forecasts or, or or things like that. So, you know, the market is really left to just that statement to digest what the Bank of Canada's next moves are going to be. Uh, we could see some, some, you know, changes over the next day or two as, as – uh, Uh, speakers start to, uh, you know, Bank of Canada members start to uh, have some speaking engagements. So we'll see how the market digests over the next couple of days. But let's take a look at what was priced in and and how the market's moved since then. Uh, So if we take a look, you know, prior to the announcement this morning, I think the market was fully expecting that 75 basis point hike. It was pretty much priced uh, almost exactly on that for that to happen here in September. Um, you know what's changed, though, is um, you know expectations uh, were for another 50 basis points in October, and then very little more after that. You know, thinking that the Bank of Canada might be uh, kind of done after the October meeting. Taking a look at what um, the market has started to price after that announcement, um, you know, very quickly the market took the expectation for October from a 50 basis point hike up to almost 100 basis points now. So. Um, you know, given um, the Bank of Canada statements that um, not only are they uh, increasing rates 75 basis points now, but as you said, they indicated rates will need to rise further. They use that word will. Um, and so almost a certainty is there that rates will be going up further. You know, a couple other uh, sound bites is that the Bank of Canada also said they are resolute in their commitment to price stability. So that word resolute, I think, is what the market is holding on to as well. Um, And then they also indicated that core inflation is still in that five to five and a half percent range. And they're concerned about this, particularly on the services side. So, you know, kind of a very hawkish statement uh, indicating that more rate increases are to come. And so, again, that October um, pricing is now closer to 100 basis points. And again, we could see that move a little bit over the next day or two, depending on, um, you know, what some of the uh, uh, statements are going to be going forward. But what we've seen on the curve as well is that that three month rate has moved up you know in concert with that sort of october expectation but the longer end of the curve is actually moved down in terms of uh, you know very very small um, but you know that seven plus years to maturity that part of the curve has moved down after um, the policy statement so i think there is still some concern um, around long-term growth expectations so i think The market is expecting that the Bank of Canada is going to get inflation under control. They seem to be saying all the right things uh, and and making the right moves in terms of, you know, showing that they're they're, they're fighting inflation. And so that might get under control within a year or two. Um, But, you know, I think the market is expecting that that is going to cause a recession or at least a significant slowdown in growth. And so those longer term rates, um, you know, coming down a little bit. In terms of, you know, your second part of that question, you know, where do we see value in fixed income given what's going on? Um, You know, I think um, going back to the the conversation on flows, you know, we've seen recent flows into those cash-like vehicles like ZMMK, our pure money market ETF, uh, but also our ZST and ZUS, which are the ultra short-term ETFs that uh, either Canada or U.S. Um, that give you corporate and, and treasury exposure to one year or less. You know, those, those yields are starting to look a little bit more attractive while taking on very little duration risk, right? And so that's a great parking spot for investors as the market, um, you know, figures out what the next direction is going to be. And so we've seen flows there, and we think that, that's a good spot to be. The other spot we've actually seen flows um, in the fixed income world is on longer duration um, type of investments. So ZFL. long federals or ZLC long corporates. And so I think what investors are doing here is, you know, you're not getting added yield by moving out to the curve, you know, the yield curve is very flat right now. So you're not getting added yield by moving out further. And so investors, you know, going right into that short term, because that's where kind of the best yield is anyway. Um, Or, you know, if you're not worried about yield, but you want that duration element, you want that balance to equity volatility, um, then they move to the long end. And so that's kind of what investors are doing right now. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, as I mentioned, you know, if you are concerned about recessions or um, significant GDP slowdowns, you probably want a little bit of that duration exposure, um, you know, to sort of hedge off that equity risk that's in the portfolio. Uh, but at the same time, you're not getting any extra yield. So you might as well, you know, for your yield component, you might as well keep it short-term um, into those ultra short-term type vehicles. One other area I might just throw out there, given the discussion on inflation, um, is that you know U.S. tips or Treasury Inflation Protected Securities actually still look fairly attractive here. You know, if you take a look at ZTIP, Tips, um, our ETF that, that covers this area, it's a zero to five year um, you know maturity, so that's that's on the shorter end uh, of of the maturity buckets. And if you take a look at the two year break even in the U.S., it's sitting at about 2.3% right now. So, you know, if you believe U.S. CPI over the next two years is going to be on average higher than 2.3%, you know, by investing in tips, you'll benefit from that uh, outcome if, uh, if that comes to be. So, you know, that looks pretty attractive here. Again, you know, headline CPI in the U.S., although it's slowing down, still over 7%. Um, you know, I think the second half of next year, that year over year comp starts to get a little bit tougher um, with, um, you know, the year-over-year com- comparison to what's already some higher prices. Um, so that might slow down in the second half of next year. But we, we like that sort of, you know, the two-year level at 2.3, um, you know, we think CPI potentially could be coming in higher than that. And so that's potentially a nice area to uh, kind of a satellite position in the fixed-income world to, to take a look at if you want to add some value there.
2: Exactly, Chris. I, yeah, I mean, uh, being resolute, there's a good word there, resolute, yes. I can understand with the CPI tracking over 5% in Canada that they need to be resolute, but hoping that with peak infl- inflation has peaked, as you kind of alluded to there, hopefully it starts to give them another path going forward than the regular 75. But it will take it as it comes. But I also like your thoughts there. Barbell approach, short term and long term, maybe some inflation protection to measure right now. We're going to place some holdings here because. You know, one thing we're certainly seeing is movement in the North American markets, fed the, you know, the Powell and the Jackson Hole, you know, kind of weighs on the markets on a regular basis, more, more North America. And we've certainly seen the impacts in the, in the developed markets, and to a certain extent Canada too, but it's been a buoyant, more buoyant here in Canada. What's your thoughts on allocation, U.S. markets relative to Canada, relative to international? Yeah, thanks, Kevin.
3: And, uh, you know, I think Jackson Hole, you saw a lot of that same language coming out of the US, uh, you know, central banking representative, uh, as we're seeing in Canada, that commitment to fighting inflation. Obviously, that's not what the equity bulls would love to see, and they'd love to see a little bit of more of an easing on rate, you know, allow some of those growth type exposures to recover. Um, But that being said, you know, it's, it's a pretty globally coordinated Um, you know, kind of uh, event right now. And even the ECB is talking about a 75 basis point rate increase. And I can't remember the last time Europe did anything over 25. It's kind of a globally coordinated. If you look at the lay of the land in terms of, in terms of, you know, global equities, you know, valuation is is very attractive. So yes, although we talked about investors kind of moving to less risky assets like cash or, or, you know, fixed income type vehicles, no, I think the attractiveness of the valuation is definitely there right now. So if you're looking at Canada, uh, basically Canada, international, and emerging markets are all sitting at 11 PE. Uh, that's pretty low, right? Um, even the U.S. is sitting at a forward PE of 17, which is, which is you know pretty low in kind of comparison to where they've been the last few years. You know, we expect the U.S. market to trade at a premium because there's more growth into it. and We know technology trades at a higher premium. Um, but it's, you know, it's attractive levels there. And, you know, they're trading, you know, very good return on equity and depressed uh, price to book levels. Um, you know, if you kind of put it all together and I'm going to kind of leverage our multi-asset team here because they do have monthly views that are publicly available and we, we, we push them out and, and lean into them. You know, they're neutral on the U.S. They're overweight Canada, uh, a little underweight, EFI, and neutral again on EM. And you have to dive into kind of what's driving that. They do like the energy overweight, and, and you know, and I think that's part of that overall overweight to Canada. They, they, they you know think that this is going to be a kind of predictive theme. Um, you know, U.S. is the U.S., and as we know, it's about 60% of global equity markets you know, and and they're neutral. So that means, you know, you're going to have a big chunk of the U.S. And, and you certainly want to, as, you know, their equities are, you know, somewhat of a growth engine. The concerns of the international equities, obviously, as we know, there's there's been, you know, a lot of disruption, you know, various things over the past few years, uh, but, you know, certainly continues with this Russia-Ukraine conflict and, you know, the impact that's having on, you know, countries like Germany that we thought were, you know, stable workhorse of of, uh, of Europe. You're seeing the impact that higher energy prices is having there. It's a negative impact. So, um, you know, for that reason, there's there's probably opportunity there, but, you know, you you want to pick your battles in terms of where you want to go seeking return. And for right now, we think it's a little bit more risk and it's hard to, uh, you know, get comfortable with some of those risks. So I think that's, that's going to drive a little bit of underway to Europe. You know, if there's a sleeper pick in terms of allocation, you know, I think it might be emerging markets. And you know, obviously it's been a tough few years. But if you again look at um, you know what regions are being the most accommodative, you know, China's actually being pretty stimulative in comparison to some of these other central banks. And obviously there's been significant challenges there with COVID and their zero COVID policy. Um, you know, but as a reminder, I think the only free lunch in investing is diversification. You know, I think some level of ZEM in the portfolio makes sense and you know, EM is Certainly at a low here, and, and you know, I think a little bit in, a, in an equity portfolio could make sense. But again, I think we're still leaning a little bit into Canada. You know, feel good about US equities, a little bit underweight on EFI, and and you know, um, you know, a neutral weight on EM, which I think many investors don't have. But again, ZEM could round out that allocation nicely. So that's what we're looking at in terms of country and regional allocations
2: right now. Thanks for those thoughts. That's solid insights there, too. you know what. It's kind of interesting to think that home biases is probably okay right now. So uh, that's, that's interesting.
1: And we're certainly seeing the international flows coming to Canada too, for that matter. So thanks for that. Does market volatility have you wondering where to go to ride out the storm? Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra-short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.ca and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS, or read our latest product insights. But
2: well, let's just stay with that same thought process for a second. Let me to, Chris, to Chris for a second, because part of the asset allocation decision internationally as well as U.S. is certainly a currency decision. And one thing we've certainly seen in the last little while is a, a strong rally in USD relative to CAP, but also relative to other currencies. And it's a key part of performance for those respective investments. So those people want to, you know, think about not only accessing the market, but also accessing the market and the currency. Can we give us some thoughts on that
0: area, please? Yeah, certainly, Kevin. And I think, you know, this is a tricky one, of course. Um Uh, given what's been going on and and what's expected to continue going forward. But, uh, you know, I think, first of all, the expectation is for continued U.S. dollar strength globally. Um, And that's really just an indication of where their economy is and then where they are in the rate hiking cycle as well. Um, But just to give you sort of a lay of the land, first of all, um, in terms of where we are right now, U.S. dollar, versus some of those major currencies that are out there. So versus the euro. Um, you know, the euro is at its lowest point versus the US dollar since 2002. Um, the British pound is at its lowest since 1985 and might actually retest that low um, of, I think it was 105 back in 1985. And, you know, there are some calling for the pound to get to parity versus the US dollar, which is where the euro, you know, already is. And then lastly, we also have the Japanese yen, um, the lowest since 1998 versus the U.S. dollar with the Asian currency crisis back in 1998. So you have the three major currencies out there outside of the U.S. dollar, all at multi-decade lows versus the U.S. dollar. And so, you know, I think that the first question, of course, is, well, did I miss it? Did I miss that move? Um, Or is there more to come? And, you know, I think really just given where those countries are right now, um, the expectation is for U.S. dollars at least to be um, continued to stay strong relative to those currencies. Now, how does that play versus the Canadian dollar? Um, you know, that's a little bit more of a question. So, certainly, Canadian dollar um, also um, globally has been a fairly strong currency. We have the you know sort of the energy tailwind behind us um, that that's propping up the Canadian dollar. But also, you know, as we were talking about earlier, the interest rate increases that we've seen. You know, Canada is one of the leaders in the world in terms of fighting inflation from those central banks. And you know have some of the highest short-term rate; the, those overnight rates are probably some of the highest in the developed world right now. So that's a little bit more of a boost to the Canadian dollar. And so we haven't seen that multi-decade low of CAD versus the U.S. dollar that we've seen in some of those other currencies. Um, you know, generally Canadian dollars are, are leveraged to global growth, and if there's a slowdown, generally that hurts the Canadian dollar. So we could see that risk. Um, you know, coming going forward as we do expect a global slowdown, if not recession, um, to take place. And so, you know, that commodity demand could decrease and and, and cause the Canadian dollar to weaken. But uh, on the other side of it, um, you know, energy is expected to stay strong. And so that could keep the Canadian dollar boosted. You know, part of the reason the euro and the pound are as low as they are is, you know, essentially there's an energy crisis in Europe right now. And there will be, you know, playing out throughout the winter months as Russia has essentially, Um, you know, shut off some of the the, the gas exports to the European region. And so um, between, you know, the cost of electricity and also, you know, governments having to prop up some of the utilities that are over there, um, you know, Europe and and, and, uh, the United Kingdom will be borrowing trillions of dollars on this. And so, you know, that aspect of continued borrowing, continued money coming out of um, fiscal and monetary policies leads to weaker currencies. And on the Japanese yen side, we still have, you know, one of the ma- last major economies to not be raising interest rates. They're keeping their yield curve control. They're still buying bonds in the market and keeping uh, the 10-year yield at 25 basis points. So, you know, kind of the only country out there that's still in that lower interest rate regime um, and no signs of that slowing down. So I think there's continued weakness in those areas, um, even relative to the Canadian dollar. So as a Canadian investor, I think, you know, the rule of thumb is if you're looking at international investments, that sort of EC type uh, structure, you probably want to keep that currency hedge in place. Um, If you're talking about just U.S. dollars versus the Canadian dollars, it's a little bit harder to see. Um, You know, I don't think there's much movement up or down to come. It could be a couple percent either way Um, for investors that want that sort of risk off um, uh, sort of, you know, protection in their portfolios. Having a little bit of U.S. dollar exposure in there um, tends to be a risk-off type of investment. And if we see markets, you know, drop down significantly, you could see a, a bid to the U.S. dollar, and so that kind of helps that offset that equity risk a little bit. Um, so I think, you know, for investors concerned about a slowdown, you might want a little bit of that unhedged exposure. Um, but, but, you know, with energy expected to stay strong, we think the Canadian dollar will stay strong. So I'm hedging my bets a little bit on hedging there, uh, with Canada versus the U S dollar, maybe take a 50, 50 approach, but certainly with those international investments, we think, um, continuing to hedge that currency exposure makes sense. And, you know, pretty much across our suite of, of, of offerings, we do offer both hedged and unhedged versions of all, uh, most of our international and, and U S exposures. So, um, if you're not aware of what that is, please, uh, uh, you know, check the website or, or go to your sales representative to determine. You know, which of which of those currency options do you want, and make sure um, you get the exposure you need.
2: Thanks, Chris. I like that you're hedging your hedge. I think that's good. And, and thanks for also for flagging that. Uh, you know, I think it's one thing that uh, we, as ETF providers in Canada, have been proud about doing is offering those choices out there. However, somebody wants to build their portfolio hedge or unhedge, or even a mixture of the two, as you're talking about potentially too. So, uh, thanks for highlighting that. And I'm gonna. it to a close today, I do want to thank both Chris Keeks and Chris McCaney for sharing your insights this week. Gentlemen, much appreciated. I also want to thank all the listeners for taking the time to join us this week and get some insight towards from the viewpoint from exchange-traded funds. I'm going to invite you all back next week to join us again, as well as have yourself a good week ahead. Cheers.
1: Thank you. To Kevin Prinz, Chris Heeks, and Chris McCaney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Covered Call Canadian Banks ETF, ticker ZWB, a good strategy to potentially capitalize on market volatility through an income-generating covered call overlay. Our experts also discussed the BMO Short-Term U.S. Tips Index ETF, ticker ZTIP, or ZTIP, which may be an attractive satellite position for investors who believe that U.S. inflation will remain relatively high over the next two years. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca. That's BMOETFs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.